All right, we're in the book of Judges again. Judges chapter 6, and we've been in this study now for uh, some weeks, looking at the various uh, stages of the history of Israel. And as I've said before, by way of introduction, this book is one of the historical books of the Bible. It's kind of categorized as that. And it bears record of a time of about 400 years from the time of about right after the book of Joshua. And we covered that most recently. And it covers that 400 years after that. And um, it is uh, one of those uh, sort of parts of their history, of the history of Israel, where we see this cycle we often call it the cycle of sin and repentance, right? They come to a place of repentance, follow the Lord for a generation, maybe two, and then they're right back into sin. And I would say right up front here and saying, how is it that we can get caught up in that cycle? You know, it's, I'm not going to ask you to answer that because there's lots of different ways we can get caught up in it. I guess the bottom line is it's, it's sin, and if we let sin reign in our lives, uh, it will just continue to be that kind of cycle. And you can get off that cycle. Uh, ultimately, obviously, when we get to heaven, uh, there won't be a sin problem anymore for the believer. Um, down here, you will always have those temptations. You will have sin nipping at you and sometimes taking root in your heart. And it's good not to allow that to go any further but to repent. And we'll talk some more about that today. Um, but anyways, this picture of sin that uh, continues on here, and I'm <clears throat> stand by here as I call up my notes. And the uh, cathedrals, uh, Southern Gospel Quartet had a song there that said, Sin will take you farther than you want to go, slowly but wholly taking control. Sin will leave you longer than you want to stay. Sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. Some of you remember that song. And... That is, you know, in, in a nutshell, I guess you would say that's sort of what is pictured here in the nation of Israel during the time of the judges is that they would repent, but then sin would come back in and indeed it would take control again of the individuals there in the land and, and as a nation and slowly at first, but then eventually wholly taking over and then it kept them longer than they wanted to stay, and it cost them far more than they wanted to pay. Um, and I would just say, let's not, let's not that be in our lives. And today we're going to learn from, from the history in Israel, hopefully, and what the Lord did for them. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. This is the time of Gideon. We'll look at Gideon next time, Lord willing, and see this judge. But right now, this is the conditions in which Gideon and the land was uh, in says in verse 1 of chapter 6 then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites and the children of Israel made for themselves the dens the caves and the strongholds which are in the mountains so it was whenever Israel had sown Midianites would come up also Malachites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels with, were without number, 
and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you shall not, uh, you, but you have not obeyed my voice. Lord, again, we are most thankful for the word of God. And as we open it this morning, help us, O Lord, to just have it seat deeply in our hearts. May your spirit convict us where conviction is needed. And may we have hearts that are quick to repent. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to this uh, section, and again, in verse 1, it says that Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And that's a familiar phrase because it seems like, as we've covered these different periods of time, that seems to be the, the condition before God would raise up a leader who would deliver them out of that place of bondage. Back there in Judges chapter 5, in the last part of Judges chapter 5, it actually is the end of the song of Deborah. We didn't cover that last week, but we covered the uh, chapter 4, which dealt with uh, the leadership uh, that went on there. Then there's this song of Deborah and Barak that breaks out, and it ends like this. It ends with this. Thus, let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. The praise really that was there uh, at the end of that song was this, that let righteousness prevail and let those who believe, let them be like the sun when it's in its full strength. Now we are just past the time of year here in the Northern Hemisphere where the sun has reached its, its solstice and it has reached its highest uh, you know, in most intense time during our year, and it's still pretty intense if you go outside. If you have a head like mine, you've got to have it covered, or else you look like a tomato in no time. And, and yeah, and and amen. That's right. And it's 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 a good looking tomato. What do you get? Well, you can't. You know, I don't know. Don't squeeze it though. Um, but I, I would say this: that the sun, in its fullness is likened here metaphorically to those also who are living for God. When when there's a an aspect of the whole society embracing the Lord, it's just like the sun in its full radiance. Uh, And when it isn't, it causes all kinds of dark and despair. We go from the last chapter, or the last verse of the last chapter, where it says the land had rest for 40 years, and we come into chapter 6, and they're living in caves, in dens, up in the mountains. I don't know if you've ever lived in a cave. I, I haven't, but... I have ventured into a few caves over the years, and it's never a place of great light. And back then, they wouldn't have had nice little LED lights or anything like that. It was a dark place to live. And you can imagine trying to raise a family in a cave. And that's what they had to do. And, and, and they should have been living in the middle of the sunlight in the pastures down low. But now they're up in the Rocky Mountains and the Stony Mountains up there in Israel around the, in the wilderness. And they're living apart from the blessings of God. And how do we go from 
the end of chapter 5 to where they had rest, all of a sudden, 40 years later, they're back to the same cycle of sin and what sin is doing. Well, we're going to look at that this morning. And the title here is Sin Will Take You Farther Than You Want to Go. And uh, the first thing we see is that they embraced sin. And anytime you embrace sin and take it into your heart and take it into your life and into your home and into your nation, you can expect it will cause lots of problems. Ultimately, sin brings about death because that's what the wages of sin is. It's, it's death. And it's sin that also reminds us that it's sin that sent a Redeemer here to pay a price for us to buy us out of sin. As I said, the wages of that sin was death. And Jesus came and he died for you. He died for me. God had a plan for those who've embraced sin. In verse 1, the very first part of that of chapter 6 says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, we could try to imagine what kind of evil they were doing. We know that from previous chapters, um, they did all kinds of you know, evil things. And most likely, they were right back into those same things. And in chapter 2, verse 19, it says, It came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods. All right? That's the form of uh, idolatry or idolatrous worship. You're worshiping something other than God. And then to serve them and to bow down to them. By the way, that's always the way that goes. If you want to serve other gods, you will become enslaved to them and you will be bowing down to them. And they are gods who cannot save you from your sin. They will just continue to bring you into sin further and further. Taking you farther than you want to go. And making you pay more than you want to pay. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. I'm always amazed at even in our modern society and it's always been the case it was the case in israel and this time it was the case way back in in the garden even that when sin is confronted that people remain stubborn about it you can't tell me anything you know that's the attitude of many and we have to come to to the lord in humility and only in humility, recognizing ourselves as, as wretched sinners and understanding that we need a Savior. And if you can't do that, your pride gets in the way. Listen, if your pride is in the way, you'll never come to faith in Christ. Because the two don't coexist that way. You can't be uh, <clears throat> someone who comes and says, it's all about me, and then embrace a Savior who, is going, who, who asks you to follow him to take up his cross and follow him. That, that idea of dying to self. That's what the cross represents. We know from Judges chapter 3. That was going on uh, also. And they were taking wives from among the, the foreign nations around them. And that was bringing also a compromise into Israel. Because they were told not to do that. Um, all those different things that were going on. And this is the case. And, and by the way it is what happens. And we are commanded really to not do that we're commanded to take sin even the little sin and to throw it off because you find that see if we don't deal with sin it's like it's like wearing a backpack you wear a backpack and uh, let's say you start off it's an empty backpack and you're out for a nice little hike somewhere all right and as you're going along you see a rock, and you say, I'm going to pick up that little rock. Oh, that's nice and colorful. I like that. I'm going to put that in my backpack. 
And that, that rock represents sin, let's just say, okay? And you just put that in your backpack and you keep walking, no big deal. And you see another one. Oh, look at that. I'm going to pick that up and put that in my backpack. And then, oh, one over here. Oh, there's a big one. I like that one. Let's throw that one in. And then pretty soon, you can't move. You can't move because it's got you. And until you unload that, and, and by the way, the only true way of unloading our sin is on a sin bearer, one who took our sin at the cross, that's Jesus. That's the story of the gospel, that he came to die in my place and he, he became sin for me. But you have to, by faith, make a transaction. That faith is saying, I don't want my sin anymore. And I don't want to be keeping my sin on me. I want to turn from my sin to him. Here, Jesus is my backpack, so to speak. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and what? The sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The Christian race, the the race of a believer, this life that we're on and in, it is an endurance run. Sometimes I wish it was just a sprint, right? All of us can sprint for a little while, all right? A few seconds maybe, I don't know. You may not be able to survive at the end of it, but you know what I mean? We can sprint. And if you ever see me sprinting, make sure you run too because something's after me. I can just say that. But I will say this, that to run a marathon, for example, you can't run a marathon with all kinds of heavy gear unless you, I guess, are so fit you can do that. Every now and again you see that. I think there was a firefighter who who ran the Boston Marathon probably every year he does it, and uh, also in New York, and they run in full turnout gear, these guys, you know. But they're conditioned for that. But you can't normally do that kind of stuff. And, and I will say this. There are some people, they can run around with a lot of sin on them, but eventually it's going to stop you. And the Christian life is an endurance run. We're told to lay aside that. Um, Eugene Patterson's version puts it this way. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, that's how chapter 12 of Hebrews opens up. The previous chapter is all about people of faith. They're examples for us, right? It says, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. I kind of like that, you know? No spiritual fat, no extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. And that's how sin is. It's, it's like a parasite that attaches itself or embeds in your heart, in this case, and it will stop you and it will hinder you, not only as Christians or a believer in the race, but as a, someone who has their sin still on them, it will keep you from heaven. You are lost in your sin. Whether great or small, it will keep you from heaven We are commanded throughout scripture to not play with sin. That would be the way to put it. For instance, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes here to Timothy, he says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. Do you know, 
The devil is out there and he, he likes to put traps. And you know, traps are things that we don't recognize as traps. Can I just put it that way? Now, you might be someone that, if you're in the, by the way, we have something that should tell us what these things are like, okay? The Bible. The Bible is the greatest light for our path. That's what it even says of itself. Your word is a lamp unto my, a light unto my path, a lamp unto my feet. And, uh, got that backwards, but whatever. Uh, it, it is that the word of God shows us how to walk in a world that is filled with traps. Satan's like that. He lays traps all the, all the time. And all of a sudden you're in it. And you're stuck. And the more you try to get out on your own, the more it just grabs you, hold of you like a snare and it just tightens its noose around you. And that's the way sin is. You'll never get out of it alone. Only Christ can release you from that trap. We know other passages of scripture that also talk about that. Um, and to be careful with those things. You find that it is the constant battle for the believer as sin is in our path and it's there and it's in our hearts and if we let it, if we feed it, it will grow. Beware of that. By the way, God has a way to get us out of things. Sometimes we just need to run. And we don't run. Again in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul writes flee youthful lust. Flee also youthful lusts, But pursue righteousness. I like that. See before I was a Christian. I will try to tell you this. I tried to deal with my sin. Sometimes I would try to run from my sin. And I found out that I was running to another sin. And that's what the way we are, because we're sinners. By nature, we want to sin. So you might leave this one or turn over the leaf, right? As they say, turn over on a new leaf. And I would always find that that other side of the leaf was just as rotten. And that's the way it was. And as I, I understood that, okay, I'm trying to get away from my sin, and I would, I would go to a church, for example, and go to a, uh, someone who I'd confess my sins to, for example, those kind of things. And I always found that my sin was still with me. I had no means to flee lust, to flee sin, until I pursued righteousness, which is only found in Jesus Christ. When I was born again, I'm speaking from my personal experience, because that's my experience. But it is the same experience anybody can have. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Isn't that something? If we would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he's promised to give us his righteousness. And then you can pursue that righteousness. You don't have to get caught in the trap and stay there. Make sure that you flee those times where you know that maybe that's the only way you can go. And there's times that is the way. It was... um, Chuck Swindoll, when he was in the Marine Corps, um, he said that he was stationed in Okinawa, Japan, and he would go off base, and he had to go, uh, they were doing Bible studies in various like houses. He was just a new believer. He was there as a married man, but his wife was not with him. He was stationed for a year, so she didn't come over with him. And he said it was a very difficult time to be a young man. And he said... 
as a young Christian, and he would go down this one particular area where there were uh, brothels and prostitutes that were there, and some of them inviting you into their presence. And he said, the only thing I could do when I got to that street is run right straight through it. Because if he would have stopped and lingered, who knows what a, how he would have ended up. And he, I remember hearing him using that illustration. And really, guys, gals, that is sometimes the way we just need to deal with sin. Run. Run as far and fast as you can. The other thing is, sometimes we give place to sin. And the Bible in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27 says, nor give place to the devil. In other words, don't give a place for the devil to take up residence. If you do, he will fill it. He's like that. Now, I have a cat at home, <clears throat> Shadow. And we have two cats. And cats are cats. I, I, I don't know. But anyways, I won't go too far because I know there's people here who love cats. And there's dog people. And I, love do- I like dogs better. Because dogs are more, I don't know. Cats are always looking at you like, you know, you're either warm furniture or they want to eat you if you were a little smaller, you know. That's the way cats are. And Shadow, he's a cute cat. He's a pesty cat. And if you put anything out, it could be a box this big or what, he tries to get in it and take up residence. And and put a little basket, there he is. And it's silly because he doesn't fit in it. You can see he doesn't fit in this. And I'm not saying shadows the devil, although sometimes he acts like it. But anyways. <laughs> but I, I will say this. Sometimes he's a cute little fuzzy cat. And if I get up from my seat, I turn around, he's right there. I gave place to shadow. There he is. And it's hard to get him out of that place. And all of you, yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. You have animals that are the same way. At the heart of a cat is really a lion, just so you know. They're all the same. They're just smaller and fuzzier and tamer if they're your house cat, right? The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. At the heart of, really, Satan, in a sense, he's likened to one who's like a lion. You're walking along, and all of a sudden, out comes the lion, right? And pounces on its prey. Now, I, I'm not too intimidated by little cats. Um, I went to a zoo once and saw a lion. My first time I ever saw a lion, like, without any other reference other than me, right? You know, I was looking. Uh, I, you see it on TV, and you think, well, that's not a very big cat. And then you look, and you're standing there looking through a fence, and the lion is as tall as you and looking at you. And again, saying, I'd like to eat you, you know? Glad there was a fence. See, Satan is like that. Sometimes he comes in a cute little fuzzy form and we bring him into our heart and it's okay or we bring him into our life and sin is like that and we play with it and sin comes in and then we feed it and all of a sudden the lion comes out. Be careful with sin. Israel at the time of the judges at this time of chapter 6 opening they were doing evil again in the sight of the Lord even though just 40 years before that they had a great victory. But a generation had passed off and a new one was on the scene. Be careful about that. Another way to deal with sin, and I want to be practical because you can talk about sin, but how do you deal with it, right? Well, for the believer, by the way, we're implored here in 1 Corinthians 10. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such is common to man. 
But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, or that what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. That's a promise from the word of God. In other words, there is, if you find yourself in this situation, there is a way of escape. Seek that way of escape. Sometimes it's just get it out of your life, that kind of escape, or you get away from it. But there is a way of escape. That's what the Bible says. Seek that way. I think also determine in your heart, in your mind, that you'll serve the Lord and not sin. That means that if you say, all right, Monday's coming tomorrow, and I've got to face that workplace again, I've got to get, and you know, today's a good day, you were in church, and you know, you kind of got, you know, hopefully something out of this, and you, you feel like I can be victorious today, but Monday's coming around, all right? Purpose today that you will live for the Lord tomorrow. When you get up, make it even shorter than that. You wake up in the morning, today I'm going to serve the Lord. They say that if you can do that for about 30 days, anything, you start a habit that, that is sometimes something you can keep for life. And, and I would say that's a good habit to have. Get up, purpose in your heart, however you're going to do that. If it's through prayer, if it's through praying the word of God over you. If it's uh, saying, Lord, help me today and, and here's my life and the things I've got to face and lay that out before him. He's a big God, he can take it all. Romans chapter 6 verse 11 says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Paul's telling us to do there. It means reckon, account yourselves dead to sin. And it's, it's another thing when you wake up in the morning and you say, You know, Lord, I, the Bible tells you I'm crucified with Christ. That means that my old sin nature and everything else has been, it's been crucified. And... And yet I am now alive unto you. That's what he says here. But alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, he doesn't ask us just to try to deal with our sin and put it away, you know. But he says also live for Christ. Those two have to go hand in hand. Otherwise, you I mean, it's been a miserable failure in church history when Christians throughout the ages said, I'm going to do penance for my sin. I'm going to do things like, like, like the reformer Martin Luther who... Um, he said that he fasted until his cheeks caved in. In other words, he fasted over his sin until he, he was looking like a skeleton. And yet he found no recourse for his sin to be lifted off him. Or, or people sleeping on cold floors or living in, in caves. When I was in Kiev, Ukraine, and we were there, there's a place um, in Ukraine, it's the caves. And if you go there... And there's these bodies of mummified monks inside the caves. And you can go in there and you can tour that. And people will say well, that's, they were holy and they lived in a cave. Well, they were living in the cave because they could not deal with their sin. And now people go look at their dead bodies. They could have been made alive unto Christ. By following him in the light. Like the fullness of the sun. Anyways, I better move on here. Lots more could be said about this. but And verse 2, and I'm going to quickly go through these. I always say that. It doesn't happen, but I'm going to. They endured suffering. You see, if you're going to live with sin as your master, you will suffer for it. Period. 
You cannot do anything. You may not for a season. It might be actually pretty good for a season. But it'll bring suffering. Look what it says here. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. They ended up as slaves to others, the Midianites, for a period of seven years. And there's a picture here. First of all, the seven years is an interesting number. It's a number of completion in the Bible. But it's also, if you look at the law that was in books of Moses... Somebody could sell themselves into slavery as indentured servants. That we had that up in Western culture very till very recently. If you became indebted and you couldn't pay, or you needed to pay passage to a maybe the New World or something like that, you would sell yourself into slavery essentially for a period of seven years. Uh, and that seventh year, you were free of your obligation. You could move on. And here's a picture of what took place. The Bible says that Midian came down. They kept you know, destroying their crops up in their mountains or wherever they were and plaguing them. And Israel became impoverished. They no longer could buy food. And they're really a representation of the famine spiritually that they were facing. And you might have lots of money in the bank and all kinds of food in the cupboard, but you might be as dry spiritually as as any barren desert. And I can just say this, you will be captured by your sin. And that's exactly what takes place. And I, I, I seem to think here they willingly gave up piece by piece and found themselves all of a sudden as servants to the enemy. Whew. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. And you see, they endured suffering. Instead of having a nice little house down you know, by the river, they lived up in a cave. You can imagine, you know, husband comes home from the field and he's got to go in there and there's his wife and she's, oh, I hate this dark cave. You know, why can't we live down there in the valley where it's lush and green and I don't have to live up here in this dark, cold mountain? Sin will do that. But you know, And the word Midian, by the way, means strife. That's the name. They were the Midianites, the ones that came with strife. And that's what they bring. And sin will always bring strife. It's just a picture of that. Over and over again, you see that. They suffered imprisonment. They became imprisoned not only to the Midianites, but they themselves found themselves imprisoned in these caves and dens and strongholds. All of a sudden, you wake up and you're in a fortress but you're on the inside. And you're saying, well, you know, it's good that I'm in a fortress, but you're not free. I've often said I'd rather be free and live in a little more dangerous world to be able to move around than just to live behind a, a, a gated lock that, you know, nobody can get in because you're really not free. You're just in jail, a different angle. And I would say this, that they lost their desire to go out and to forge a life and to fight for their territory and be free. The Bible says this, and Jesus said it, John 8.36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. See, He came to give us freedom from the tyranny of sin, first and foremost. 
And by the way, where people have embraced that at a heart level as a nation, they are freer for it in their nations, in their activities, in their speech, in all those things. Where they embrace sin as a people and as a nation, they become enslaved. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Luke chapter 13, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You see, there had to be an aspect of repentance. And that's what it says here at the end of this. It says, and it came, and if you want to follow the outline, they evaded security because they weren't secure. And in verse 7 of chapter 6, it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel. You see, they didn't have someone heralding the word of God. Or if they did, they weren't listening. And when they finally had enough and they cried out, God sent a messenger. Isn't that great? God's like that. He didn't have to. He could have said like probably a lot of us would say, like you got into the mess, you stay in the mess. It's your own fault you're there. But not the Lord. See, he's gracious and he's merciful. He's loving. He's loving even to his enemies, even to those that hate him. You see, in our sin, in our natural state, we are at enmity with God. That literally means I'm an enemy of God. And yet, Christ came to die for his enemies. He loved us so much, he gave himself over into the hands of sinners to be nailed on a cross and lifted up that people might see the cost of sin. Not his sin, our sin. Cost God his very life blood. Think about that. His very life. Goes on to say this. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, brought you out of the house of bondage. That was in their past too, right? And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. He calls them to repent. So it's one thing for God to hear their cry. It's another thing for God to hear their cry and say, repent. And see, that has to happen. You cannot come to the Lord in faith without repentance of sin. And that's why I'm hounded on this through the book of Judges. Because that's what God reveals it. Our sin separates us from the Lord. And you cannot come with your sin and say, okay, we're both here, Lord. No, he's holy, he's righteous. He doesn't tolerate sin in his presence. Sin has to be dealt with. You have to turn. And it's a different direction. It's an opposite direction To come to the Lord and to turn. And that's part of this whole thing. And that is the invitation of the Bible. The Bible declares for us that the Lord is there and he wants us to repent and turn to him in faith. And he promises to have fellowship with us. A couple weeks ago we looked at this verse. From Revelation chapter 3 verse 19 and verse 20. Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. That means really get excited about repentance. That's what zeal, you know, we use that word zealous. 
In other words, it isn't something that we wake up, eh, maybe today I'll repent. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe when I get to be age 50. Hmm, I'm past that now. Maybe 60. Maybe when I'm 100. You know what? You may not make it to 50. You may not make it to 60. You may not make it to 10. We don't have the days are, you know, ordered in our lives perfectly that way. Only God knows the number of our days. But you know what he does say? Be zealous to repent. That's now. And when something happens to stop right there and say, Lord, I will not let sin take over my body here, my mind, and I just turn to you right now. Throw it aside. And to do that. I think when we know we've made an offense or something like that, it needs to be dealt with right away. You can't just... You can't just let it fester, those kind of things. I'm talking about offense to God or offense to others. Be zealous and repent. And then verse 20 is a verse that is beautiful. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. (laughs) Isn't that great? He's promised to come in and do that. Jesus is pictured here knocking on the door of your heart. And the only way he comes in is when you turn and repent. And when you're turning and repenting, you're headed towards him. I love it. Because he's promised to give you that kind of a salvation. You know that song that we sang? Or I didn't sing it, I quoted it. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Slowly but wholly taking control. Sin will leave you longer than you want to stay. Sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. Part of that song goes like this. So with pleasure and promise, sin took control, leaving me dying and nothing to show. Gone were my loved ones, my dearest friends. Only a Savior could love me again. And may I just echo that. Only a Savior could love us again. And He does love us. And my friends... Turn to him today. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you that the Bible helps reveal to us the condition of our hearts and the traps that are set before us and the enemy and what he's like. And it shows us the kindness and mercy of a Savior. And I pray today many would come to saving faith in him in our world. And I pray for our nation, Lord, as we get ready to celebrate a birthday again of a nation, a nation that in many ways is spiritually adrift and, Lord, will end up in captivity if we do not repent. So I pray for our nation, for its leaders, for our people, for the Christians throughout the land, that we would live for the Lord in these days. In Jesus' name, amen.